Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? Man, I tell you what, it, it, is it, it's fun listening to our worship team, isn't it? Man, they're good. You know what's really neat? The whole back row, including the drummers, all grew up here. I, I like that. That's fun watching, and, and we're waiting for a whole other generation of them coming up behind, and, and um, that's, you know, we don't just want to have people that can do things. We want to train others how to do them as well. And uh, today we're in Acts chapter 16, and if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there, we're going to, I was intended to do this whole chapter in one week, and I got five verses in and kind of, um, so we're going to do that today, and then we'll finish the chapter next week, and then after that, um, uh, Ronnie Hill, our staff evangelist, is going to preach, and, and on the 27th, we're going to have a Code 1 Sunday, and that's a Sunday when we um, really emphasize the, the gospel and hope that you'll bring people to that. And, um, you know, something, I just want y'all, some of y'all to pray about this. When, when we get, you know, we're getting back to that point where school's about to start and everybody's going to get in their fall routine. Some of y'all pray about maybe going to the 830 service for a while. I'm just, I'm just, it's just a prayer request. Y'all just pray about it, all right? Just ask the Lord about it and see what, see what happens. That's all I'm saying. Um, we're, we're really excited about our fall and about the future of our church and, um, you know, we have that coming up in August, and then in September, we're going to uh, present to you plans for a possible uh, new sanctuary, and uh, we're excited about that, and then we're going to pray about that as a church and, and uh, see how to move forward. Um, last Sunday, which was, you know, just the, was the first, or last Sunday in July, I can't remember, first in August, which is normally not a great big Sunday for us. But our attendance last week would have been our second highest attendance in the year 2022, a year ago. So, yep, that's pretty good. And we're really excited to see about what God's going to do this fall. And um, we're going to need, need you guys' help to make sure that we create room for new people coming in. And um, um, gets back to that prayer request thing. Y'all just pray about that. And <laughs> uh, we are going to need your help, and we're excited about um, you know, it, it constantly amazes me. I mean, we're, at, we're in the middle of nowhere, and yet God continues to, to draw people uh, to himself and uses our church to do it, and we're excited about that. Well, today we're going to start out in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, and, and last week we talked about this big um, uh, conference and a council all over. There were Jewish Christians that were coming and trying to tell other uh, Christians that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul and Barnabas argued against that, and it became a, a big deal, and they decided that it wasn't true. And the first few verses I'm going to read you out of Acts chapter 16, you're going to kind of go, wait a minute, what? And we're going to talk about that moment. I don't like to, you know, gloss over things that seem to be contradictions. And so we're going to look at it, and we're going to see what, what we can find out. And so if you don't mind, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. 
I know you're going, what? For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I fully understand where you would look at that and go, well, didn't we just spend a whole chapter arguing that you didn't have to do that? And now here you go, and he's about to take on a new apprentice or somebody that he's going to train. And the first thing that he does is arrange for him to be circumcised. So what's the deal with that? Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, Google that or look that up on the way home or ask your parents or something else. I'm not going to get into all the particulars of it. But I am going to say it's not really that big a deal when it happens as a baby. As a matter of fact, the way it's supposed to happen is is that it, on the eighth day after a child is, a male child is born, they're taken to um, the, the synagogue and they perform a circumcision. And that is one of the marks that God said was to be on them as God's chosen people. And so it, it's not that big a deal for a baby, all right? Now, when you're an adult, it's kind of a big deal, okay? And not only that, but it is a physically very taxing thing. And what happened, as a matter of fact, if you look in Genesis 34, there's an account given of, of Jacob and his sons, and they had a conflict with a, a city there and a people group that were there. And all the men who were adult men were circumcised to try to bring them all together and to create an agreement. And here's the deal. Even three days after they were circumcised, just two guys went into this whole town and killed every male there because they were unable to defend themselves. So as you can tell, it was a procedure that put people kind of in bed for several days. And it was a major deal. And anybody would know that if you were um, an adult, that that would be a difficult thing to go through. So I know I'm kind of just speaking in generalities and that, yes, is on purpose. So feel free to look that up later. Anyway, here's the question, though. Well, how, why would Paul say and spend all this time arguing, saying these people don't need to, to do this, and then turn right around and say this guy does? What's the deal with that? Well, some of it is the difference. Here's one of the main differences. The difference is what is required for salvation and what is required for a leader. What is required sometimes of those who have given their lives to Christ. And so I want us to look at the life of Timothy for a moment. Timothy is a major figure in the New Testament. Um, the, the two books of Timothy, you know, First and Second Timothy, are Paul later on writing to Timothy as a young pastor. And so one of the things that uh, pastors told me when I was young and, and beginning days of the ministry was to read that book. So I've probably read those two books more than any other because they're written to a pastor telling him, hey, here's what you do, here's what you don't do. And so there's, there's a lot of significance in those books. And Timothy's all through the New Testament. He becomes the leader of the church at Ephesus. He becomes, uh, he's sent to Corinth at one point. When they kind of go off the rails, he's sent there to kind of bring them back. Um, Paul talks about different times when they're together. And so Timothy was a major figure and a really faithful leader in the church and a disciple of Paul, but more importantly, a disciple of Jesus. And so a couple of things that it shows us is that later on, Paul 
in, in the book of Timothy and in other places, really kind of goes through what do you look for in a leader? What, you know, somebody that's going to lead in church, whether it's in this area. Now, some of it's pastoral, but some of it's, you know, what about somebody doing this or doing that? What is it that you look for? And there are things that we can see here from Timothy that we apply now all across the board that was later on kind of uh, brought in and, and, and revealed through the scripture. But even here, they follow it. And the, one of the first things it says is not somebody who's a new convert. You know, it's not somebody that's a new believer. And that can be kind of an abstract theme. But, you know, we got to remember that during these days, the Christianity was still really young. The church was still really young. So none of them had been like believers for decades. It was all a shorter amount of time. But we, we, we can kind of assume and see Timothy had been following the Lord for a while. He had a good repute amongst the church there. And most likely, he came to know Christ during Saul or Paul's first missionary journey. Now, there, there were months, even years, in between his journeys. You know, what, what happens in a chapter, one chapter to the next, sometimes, you know, it seems to us that well, it's just right, one right after another. But those journeys themselves would have taken months, maybe even years. Because, you, you know, you had to travel. Traveling back in those days was not an easy task. They would go somewhere and minister for weeks or months sometimes, maybe even years, and then move on to the next journey. So in Acts 14, 6 through 7, this is several uh, chapters before this one, obviously. It says, when the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derby and the surrounding area, and here they preached the good news. Now, this is probably where Paul led Timothy to Christ. Now, why do we think that Paul led Timothy to Christ? Well, in 1, Timothy, 1 Corinthians 4, 17, it says, that's why I have sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Christ, just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. That's what Paul sent in uh, Timothy to Corinthians, to the church at Corinth later on. But whenever a leader in the church would call someone their child in the Lord, that was generally believed to be that they were the ones that led them to Christ, or they came to Christ under their ministry. And so Paul saw him kind of as his child in the Lord. And that's, you know, when we, um, you have a part in seeing someone come to know Christ, it, it really helps because we have a you, you know, you feel like you have a, a, a part in their faith walk now, and you want to be a part of that. And that's, that's a, in a big ways how discipleship happens, is us helping to find, helping someone come to know the Lord, and then being a part of their growth. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. You know, sometimes it's a chance encounter, and that happened with um, Philip and the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, they, they, the angel brought him to this place, and then after that, as far as we know, he never saw him again. And so that happens too. But the way the church is supposed to work organically is that as we see people come to know Christ and we're invested in their lives, we're part of it. And Paul was able to be a part of Timothy's life through the years. It says in 1 Timothy 1-2, I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace mercy, and peace. And so there's a connection there and a special love there because of the history that they have together. Now, in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 11, you know, one of the, this is kind of a good picture of what is it, what do you look for 
You know, in the church, when you're, when you're trying to find people to lead, when you're trying to find people to have positions of responsibility or spiritual authority in a church, what do you look for? And here's what you look for. You look for somebody that has been faithful. Faithfulness is one of the most important requirements. I had a, I had a lady come to me that wanted to be our interim um, uh, children's minister one time, but she came to church like two, three times a year. And she might have had all the talent and the ability to do a good job with it, but why would I put somebody in a position of leadership that has not been faithful? I mean, I'd have to come, hey, here's this person. They don't come to church, but they want to be over all our children. I mean, who would do you? You don't do that. I mean, you, you look for somebody that's faithful. If you have a business and you're looking for somebody to promote to the next level, you don't think, hey, let me find somebody that barely shows up for work. Do you? You find somebody that they show up every day, that you can count on them, that they've proven themselves to be faithful. And Timothy had proven himself to be faithful. And so now what is he telling him in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 11? But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. So Timothy had been around enough to understand what Paul's purpose in life was, how he taught, how he lived. And you know what? You think, well, of course they knew his purpose in life. But here's something I want to ask you. Because this is a, an important thing. Every believer should be either trying to live out their purpose, what God put them here for, or trying to discover what it is, one of those two things. And see, God put you here for a reason. And your purpose is greater than your, your marital situation, it's greater than your your job or your career. Some of us have jobs, some of us have whatever it is. Your purpose is greater than that. It's what God created you to do in his kingdom and for his church. That's your purpose. And if you don't know what it is, that's okay. Start looking for it and trying to find out because you want to live a life of purpose, a life that matters, a life of meaning. And Timothy had been around Paul enough that Paul was confident to say, you know how I live. You know how I teach. And you know what my purpose in life is. All of us should be able to identify those things at different times. Now, sometimes those things change a little bit. I mean, when I, when I first God called me to serve in a church, it was as a youth pastor. And when I started that, I had no idea, well, I'm going to do this for a certain number of years, and then I'm going to move on and do something else. I thought I was going to be a youth minister for life. I, I approached everything God gave me as though I was going to do that forever. Now, at different points, God would say, okay, I'm going to change this. Now I want you to do this too, or I want you to do that. Or then at some point, now I'm going to, I want you to pastor. And so those things kind of looked differently through the years, and so it's not like you just find something and it stays exactly the same, but you start out with what God's called you to do. And as you do that, that's when you discover your purpose. And that's why we encourage people. 
hey, we, we want you to find a place of service in the church. And we're totally fine with you going, you know what? I don't, I'm not 100% sure what God created me to do, uh, but I kind of feel drawn to this. Let me try it. And if you try it and you're like, yeah, that, okay, I thought that was it, but that's not it. I need to try something else. We're fine with that. Now, when I grew up, if you signed up for a position in a church, you basically had to cut your hand, write in blood that you would do that until the day you died. I mean, they, you never got released from that. It was a lifetime commitment. And, you know, we don't do that because we want people to know what their purpose is. We want people to, to, to be able to grow and to be able to, to, to find where it is that they fit and where God can use them. And so we want you to find what that is. The second thing about that one passage is he'd been around Paul enough because of his faithfulness to know. But the other part of that is, is that he was faithful even in times of difficulty. I mean, there was a period of time where Paul went through persecution and it would have been easy to, you know, he was in jail. He was under um, uh, pressure from the authorities it would have been easy to, to quit or to back away or to move on and do something else. But Timothy stuck through tough times. And if you want to know, one of the things that, that builds a lot of trust is by being willing to stick through a tough time. Now, I, I want to make something clear. It doesn't mean that if, if your leader does something that is wrong, or if they're out of line, that you just go along as though, no, I'm not, you know, whatever. I mean, if you need to, you go tell them. It, it means being honest and being faithful first to Christ. But churches go through tough times, just like people do. And as a person, you want to look around and believe that the people that are around you love you even in difficult times. And they're going to stick with you even through difficult times. The church wants to see that too. And Paul could testify that Timothy was faithful and he was willing to stick even through difficult times. And so Timothy is a man who is completely trusted. And let me tell you something else that Timothy did that Paul encouraged him in 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 15. He said, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. You know, here's something we all ought to be doing. Whatever God has you doing right now, you ought to be doing the best at it you can. And you ought to be wanting to get better. You know, I'm not gonna say that I've gotten better at preaching or anything else through the years, but I will tell you that I've tried that I try every year to be better than I was the year before. You know, I, I, I try to find better ways to communicate. I, I've tried to be a better leader. And I'd like to, I believe that I can say to you that every year I've tried to be better than I was the year before. Now, I'm not going to tell you I made it every year. Or maybe it was just so small you couldn't even see the progress. But I will tell you that I've worked, that I do work to try to get better and to try to do the very best that I can to be the best communicator, to be the best leader in the position that God's put me in. And I'll, I'll tell you again, I, I don't hit it all the time. None of us do. But none of us, I, you know, that's good enough. You know what really bugs me 
is when somebody says, you know, they're working in an area in the church or whatever, and maybe it's with kids. It, it, I don't care if it's with preschoolers. And they're like, ah, it's good enough. We, we, they're just kids. No, that is not good enough. You know what Jesus told the disciples? He said, y'all best get out my way. Get out of the way and let them kids come to me. Don't get in the way of those kids coming to, to Jesus. And if our being lazy or not being willing to do the best we can is getting in the way, then you're, you're a problem. And you're not living out God's purpose. Now, does that mean you got to, every time you go in front of kids, you got to bring in a, like a, a zoo? Or, no, I'm not saying you got to entertain them. I'm saying take seriously the things that you are doing in service to God. If you're a greeter, be the best greeter you can be. If you're teaching a high school uh, small group, be ready to teach when you go in there. Do it in such a way that it brings honor and glory to God by how you do it as well as what you do. We ought to all be willing to do that. And Paul told Timothy, he said, hey, man, work at it. Let people see that you're getting better. We all ought to be striving to be the best we could possibly be. That's part of leadership. And one of the things that is, I think, just beautiful about the story of Timothy is that we have more insight into the beginnings which happened right here in Leicester in the beginnings of this chapter about how Timothy came to be a leader and how he progressed and how God used him and the, the different areas of responsibility and, and how he was faithful. We have more insight into him as the development of a leader than anybody else probably in Scripture. Now, if you're Timothy and you've heard about all these deals with uh, the circumcision and how you know, they've thought about it and saying it's not required, you don't have to do this, what do you do when Paul comes to you and says, hey, I think it'd be a good idea if you were circumcised? He didn't force him. He didn't tell him that he had to. But Timothy chose to do it. I mean, there's no record of, so Paul had six guys come in and drag him out and haul him down, and, you know, they, they did it. He was screaming the whole time, but we got her done. <laughs> Timothy agreed and went with it. And so what do you, how do you take that from Paul? What was the difference? Well, one of them, he had to stand firm because people were trying to add something to the gospel. They were changing the gospel. They were changing how people are saved. And see, here's the deal. When you come to Christ, the only thing you need is to, is to turn away from your sins, ask forgiveness, trust in Christ, confess him as your Savior and Lord, and boom, you are saved. There's nothing else you have to do. There's nothing. But that doesn't mean that's the only things we should do. There are Areas of obedience. There are areas in leadership. There is finding our purpose. And you know what? You don't, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have to do any of these things to be saved. If you're saved, you're saved. But if we are saved, shouldn't we want to do some of these things? Now, none of us are going to do all of them, and we're not going to do them perfectly. But we ought to want to do some of those things. So when do you stand firm and say, nope, I'm not doing that? It's any time it affects the gospel. 
Anytime somebody tries to compel you to do something that is not scriptural, we stand firm. But how, when do we yield? It's sometimes when some of those same things can be a benefit to others. You know, in Acts 15, 1 through 2, it's the passage where Paul and Barnabas are at Antioch. Some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. I mean, they argued with that, with everything they had. And you know what? There's another time where not only that, but Paul told Titus, one of his assistants, he wouldn't allow him to be circumcised. Even though by just asking him, might have eliminated some dissension. But there's another time where he, he, nope, we're not doing it. We refuse. It happens in Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Fourteen years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I've been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised though he was a Gentile. So these were obviously Jewish Christians. Paul's coming to them and he wants to make sure they get it, that they're on board with him. And they are. Yep, we're with you. They supported him. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. See, there's some things we as believers have to recognize. This is what is, you have to do to be saved. But once you are saved, there are still things that God may call us to do or that we choose to do. And so that verse we talked about in, in the, uh, verses 1 through 5, Timothy was well thought of. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey in deference to the Jews of the area he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. So what is the difference? The difference is this. It talks about the Jews in the area. It's not talking about the Jews within the church. Paul knew that Timothy was going to need to minister to Jews on this journey and in different places, and so that it would be easier for him and so that the, the Jews who are not believers yet in Christ might accept his message, he chose to be circumcised, to remove a barrier that might have kept those Jews from listening to him and hearing the message about Christ. So you see what the difference is? It wasn't a requirement. It was an act of love. It was an act of sacrifice for others. It wasn't so that he wasn't any more saved after he did that than he was before. But maybe he was a little bit more effective. And see, that's one of the principles about Christianity. Are there certain things that we could legally do? Sure. 
You know, one of the great controversies in that time was there were temples that came up to false gods all over the place. And they imitated the Jewish faith a lot of times. They would sacrifice animals in those temples, you know, to all these false gods. And you sacrifice enough animals, you got, you got a carcass, you got a lot of meat. And so they would sell the meat, sometimes out of the back of the temple or in the marketplace. You know, their people would go down and, and sell it, and that was one of the ways they raised money, I guess, for their temples. And you know what? If you went by, it's just a piece of meat. I mean, it's God's creation, and nothing wrong with it. And so there was this, always these big controversies about, well, should we eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol? Well, an idol, you know what it actually represents? Nothing. The Bible tells us that th th those are idols are things that come up in men's minds that we try to replace God with. We come up with the God of our choosing instead of the God who is real. But it's not like there's some kind of power now over the meat. There, there's no power because false gods have no power. They don't exist. You know, it says in Psalms in a couple of places about, you know, that they, they have eyes, but they cannot see, arms, but they cannot touch, mouths, but they cannot speak, because they're just a, a statue. They're an empty, inanimate thing. And so these animals were sacrificed. And it, was it a big deal? Paul says, hey, if you want to eat meat and your conscience are clear, who cares? But there's another principle that comes with that. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 24. Even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. So Paul's saying, hey, nobody gets to tell me what kind of meat I get to eat and what kind of meat I don't eat, but I'm a slave to those who are without Christ. I want to do what will help them to hear the gospel. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. So when he was there, he did exactly as they did. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. Now he wasn't breaking the commandments of God about sinning, it was talking about the ceremonial laws, about what kind of meat you could eat or what you had to do, those kind of things. All right? He says, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who, oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Um, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I did not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. And what was the law of Christ? It, Christ gave us the command to go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. And so, you know what? Here's where sometimes the, the rub is. Is you want to preach the truth to Christ and you want people to be saved. And so sometimes people fall and they err to the side of trying to make it sound easier or, or to, to lessen the impact of certain things in the scripture. Well, this is sin. That's not, you know, well, okay, it's not really that big. Hey, if the Bible says it's sin, just... It's a sin. And so we have to give the gospel as it's given. We don't get to try to make it sound easier or to make it sound less. We just give the gospel. Here's the gospel. Guess what? We're all sinners. I've sinned and offended a holy God, and so have you. And when we have sinned against a holy God, we are under judgment because the wages of sin is death. Death. 
And that means separation from God for all eternity. That's what I, I deserve. That's what you deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord who died for us and gave himself for us. So you don't get to, to soft pedal the first part to make the second part sound easier. You have to speak the truth. And one of the ways that we do that is not by watering down the truth, it's by finding common ground with people. We don't preach at people. We share with them the truth. And so here's what he says after that. I do not obey, ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So, you know, sometimes there's that side where you try to make things less so the more people will come. And then the other side is, hey, it's as though we don't care for them. Here's the truth. You can take it or leave it. I don't care. We ought to care. Now, I also want to make clear something. You can't save someone. You can't make them accept the truth of God's word. But you know what? It says in the Bible, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so when we're sharing the gospel, it should be truth, but it also should be kind. You know, if somebody says, well, I just don't know that I can believe in a God that would send people to hell. You know what the answer is? Hey, I understand what you're saying, but God loved you enough, he doesn't want you to go to hell. So because he doesn't want you to get what you deserve and you've earned, he sent his son to die in your place. That's how much he loves you. And that's how much he doesn't want you to go to hell. That's how much he wants you to be free. But it should be kind because he loves you. We try to find common ground with people doing everything we can to save some. Now, one of the things that we do is sometimes there are things that we, we choose not to do. There are things that we lay down and we lay aside. And I'll tell you up front, there are lots of things that are fine and that are good, but can become sin. How could that be? Well, let's say you like to hunt or you like to fish or you know, you, you have some other activity or whatever. And those things can be good. There's nothing wrong with fishing, nothing wrong with hunting, nothing wrong with, you know, whatever activity that you might be involved in as long as it doesn't involve sin. But you know when it becomes sin is when it becomes more important than the things that are supposed to be the most important. When you start sacrificing leaving your family for that hobby or that thing that you like to do, when you start compromising your walk with Christ because you'd rather do that thing than do the things that honor God, it becomes sin. And so sometimes it's better, as you know who you are, to just stay away from things by choice because you know that temptation is there. You know, I, I'm, hey, I'm one of those people that if I decide to do something, I mean, I'm, I'm all in on it. You know, I, I don't do as much anymore because I'm less young than I used to be. But I used to duck hunt all the time. And I, didn't, I couldn't just, you know, every now and then go out and, hey, let's go somewhere. Dude, I had dogs. I had a four-wheeler. I had, I had to get the right. I mean, I, I did every, I, I'm all in. 
You know, I had a hunting lease that I would go to. I mean, I, don't do, I, can't, I just can't do something halfway. Oh, sure, that's cool. I'll do that every now and then. If I'm going to do something, I'm, I'm in, I mean, I'd subscribe to every duck hunting magazine. I was a part of Ducks Unlimited. I, I did this to learn how to train my dog. I, I did this to be a better shot so that I, you know, everything. I want to know what the best decoys were, what the best shotgun, and I, I wanted them. So I am a, I, I get it. I'm one of those people, I just, I can't dabble in something. It's, I'm either all in or nothing. And so for that reason, there are things people say, hey man, why don't you come do this? And I'm like, yeah, it'd be fun, but I see where that's going for me. I, I ain't doing that. I ain't got the time for it. I just can't do it. And you know what? We, we need to know where those lines are. And then there's certain things that we need to give up. Part of the reason I don't do that like I used to is because I have a family and I have responsibilities at a church. And there are certain things that I don't have time for. And I choose not to put all my time into something and not to be tempted to put more time into something that I ought to. There are things that we're allowed to do, but maybe we choose not to do them. You know, you can eat meat sacrificed to idols. I don't know any in town for sale, but if it was, <laughs> and your conscience is clear about it, who cares? But if you also are trying to reach people for Christ and they saw you doing that, and that made them go, well, I, that's weird. And it was a, a, a hindrance to them. Then you have a choice. Am I going to say, well, I'm going to eat it anyway because I know it's fine. Or, you know what? There's nothing wrong with it, but it's going to cause a barrier for them to hear me tell about Jesus. So I'm going to choose not to do that. And maybe it means I got to pay a little more for meat or I can't get this kind that I really like or whatever, but I'm going to voluntarily lay that aside for their benefit because I love them. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 24 you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Romans 14, 13 through 16. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Let me ask something. Whatever you're doing, if you, maybe it's legal for you. Maybe the Bible doesn't prohibit it, but if it causes somebody else to stumble or to fall on their faith, now you've got to make a choice. Maybe in and of itself it's fine, but maybe I ought to stop because I, I want to lay that down for someone else. Matthew 10, 37 through 39, if you love your father and mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. You know, at some point, every believer, you got to look in your heart and say, man, what is, what's number one to me? What's the most important thing? And you know, I, I'm going to, I don't mean to get on to anybody and I'm not, I know why people say these kind of things, but you know, I've been married, it's going to be 32 years in October. And there's certain things that my wife 
has never said to me and I've never said to her. She's never told me, you're my world, you're my everything. I've never told her that either. And you, you want to know why? She knows that I'm not going to tell her that because I love Jesus first and that's the way she wants me to be. I've never told her that. She's never told me that. Now, I get it. I understand. I know some of you have said that. I'm not trying to get on you about it. I get what you were trying to say. You were trying to, to tell the world and to tell them how much you care about them, how much you love them, and that's an admirable thing. But here's, here's the thing. If that's true in your heart, if they are your world and they are number one, it's a problem. Because at some point, they're going to want something that you're going to have to choose to set aside the things you know to be right and the things you know are God-honoring for their benefit, or they will do that for you. And when that happens, you're going to wreck the whole thing. Now, it may not be a permanent wreck. Maybe it's just a little one. But it's going to cause harm because we were designed to love God first and then our mate and then our family and then other people. And every decision we make should be to honor him first. And you know what? Unless you, if you've been married 15 minutes, you probably don't get this, but there's going to be times where all the little loves and feels aren't there. You know that? <laughs> there's going to be moments where love's going to be making a choice not acting on a feeling. And when you love Jesus first, let me tell you what it gives you. It's going to give you the love that you need to love other people, even when they're unlovable. And it's going to do the same for them. I want my wife to love Jesus first. Because you know what? Sometimes I'm a total failure. And if she loves me first, that rocks her world too. But if she loves Jesus first, she goes, you know what? I'm going to love you anyway because Jesus loved me first. And because he's first in my life. And I'm going to love you as a way to honor him. Man, there's like a contest now for everybody to do something. Man, I, I, I gave what must have been probably one of the five worst proposals ever. I mean, I really did. I, I had it in my mind. I thought it sounded really good. But, you know, we were out and I asked my wife, you know, I, I thought it was, in my mind it all made sense. And I said, well, what would you feel like about, you know, maybe becoming the next Mrs. Bond? I mean, isn't that great? She goes, well, who was the first one? <laughs> so, romantic moment, blown. And I said, well, I, I meant after my mom. <laughs> That's what I meant. I mean, it all made sense up here, but obviously I didn't really think all this stuff through. And so it, it wasn't like, you ain't going to see that in a movie. I mean, you watch Hallmark, and they do it perfect every time. I don't know how. But it, it, it didn't work out that way. But here's the deal. It wasn't about trying to prove in that moment how much I loved her. It was about asking for a lifetime to prove how much I loved Jesus and how much I loved her and how much I would show and demonstrate over a lifetime. Now, I'm not, I get it. I don't have a problem with people doing, you know, cool things for, as a matter of fact, there's times I've been like, golly, man, what kind of, I mean, I, we didn't even have any photographers. There was no we didn't even have, I mean, we couldn't even take a selfie, you know, a selfie. They didn't have, we have no record of it whatsoever except our memories, you know. And 
I'm all right with that. But it, it wasn't any big major deal. But I would hope that you wouldn't look and think, oh, man, I don't know if he really loved her. You should be able to look and say, over 31 years, yeah, he loved her. She loved him. Pretty obvious now. And see, that's the way it is with our walk with God. It's not about coming up with some phrase. It's about what are we willing to lay aside? How much do we really love him? And if there's anything or anyone that sits on the throne of your heart other than Jesus, chaos is going to reign in your heart and in your life. The only way these things work is if Jesus is first and everything else is ordered around that. That's how it works. You know what, as a believer, every now and then, we need to look in there and check and make sure. You know, if I had to make a choice about, is there something I wouldn't give up if God asked me to? I, you know, it used to kind of bother me because I'm like, so is Jesus, God going to come down and ask me to give up everything fun in life? No. But if there's something in my life that I won't give up, you know what else Albert Schweitzer once said? I know you probably don't know who he is, a lot of you, but look him up. Google him too. He's worth looking at. One of the things he said was, if you own something and you can't give it up, you don't own it anymore. It owns you. And we shouldn't be owned by anything but Jesus. And sometimes we got to look in there and see, what owns me? When you look at the life of Timothy, there's no question. There is absolutely no question that he belonged to Jesus. He proved it from the beginning of his walk with Christ. He demonstrated it when he was willing to sacrifice so that he could reach others for Jesus. He proved it in his faithfulness throughout his life. It's not a one-time momentary gesture. It's a lifetime of faithfulness that is marked by love and by sacrifice. What's, who's sitting on that throne? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? All believers should take inventory to determine who sits on that throne in our heart. And for those of you, if you don't know Jesus, if you have not come to that place where you've trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, here's your opportunity. It's really simple. There's three things. Number one, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin separates us. We've got to ask forgiveness of our sins after admitting the worst sinner and turning away from it. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You're not. The second thing is you've got to believe in Jesus that he's God's son, that he died on the cross for your sins and for mine, and that he rose on the third day to give us life. The Bible tells us in Acts, there is no other name given to man under heaven by which we must be saved. It is through Jesus. And then the third thing is you, you got to confess him as Lord. He's, he, he should be the boss of your life. Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so those are the three things. 
It's not something you earn, it's by grace. It's given to you, unearned. And it is through faith. And that what we're talking about is expressing that faith. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you'd like to know your sins are forgiven, that you're in right relationship with him, and that that will be forever, I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer of salvation. You can repeat it after me. Just pray in your heart. God will hear you. Or pray in your own words either way. But pray with me right now. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, my life. Cleanse me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day, according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my savior and confess him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything in front of the whole church. All I want you to do is, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I want you to look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you. Okay? All right? Okay? All right, I'll see you. Okay? Okay, thank you. I got you. Okay. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. There's a number on the screen. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. And we would love to answer any questions you have. We'd love to talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. By contacting us, we're not, it doesn't mean you are a member of the church. We're not going to put you on a mailing list. It doesn't mean we're going to, we're not going to, ask you for anything we just want to help and we would love to be able to to help you with the next steps in following christ and so i'd encourage you to get to text that number or there'll be a staff member here at the front right after the service if you'd like to meet with someone today or you'd rather just set up a time to talk in person with a person that's fine too we understand that but i would encourage you to tell someone if you're here with your parents and your little one Tell your folks as soon as the service is over that you prayed that prayer to trust Jesus. And so I want to pray for you right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the ways you love us. Father, help us to love you more. Father, help us, Father, to live lives of purpose and meaning, to live for you and not for ourselves, to lay our lives aside so that we might find real life in you. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. And we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.